Well, good morning. morning. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. All right. Excuse me while I get set up here. I've got props today. It's the first time I've ever used props, I think, since one of them is a gas can. Half of you are scared, and half of you are like, okay, this is a sermon. But there was another one, and it didn't really work out, so we'll see how this goes. But, um, but anyways, how are you all doing this morning? Good? Good. Okay, well, let's pray, just to get started. Father, Lord, um, I thank you that you do love us, and I thank you for the, uh, the words that, um, that were given this morning, Lord, of, of just how much you do care and love for us, regardless of everything that we have, uh, that we have done that's been wrong in your sight. And so, Lord, I pray that first and foremost that we internalize that, and, and uh, Lord, I pray that these words would, uh, would challenge us to move, to, to use that knowledge and to use that love to help us to um, express it, Lord, in a way that, that blesses you and, and us and everyone that we come in contact with. In the name of Jesus, amen. John, could you get the lights, please? <clears throat> Thank you. All right, well, today's, this morning's message is called Extinguishing the Fire. Now, I love fire. Okay, this, that, that is me, just so you know. Fire is something that I never grow tired of. Okay, I love starting them. I love being around them. I love watching them. Ever since I was in, was in preschool, I have always had little fires in my backyard. And as I grew bigger, so did the fires I started. <laughs> it's all right. Now you're like, now it was half and half of y'all were excited. Now everyone's just scared. But, but um, while my wife Michelle is coming to me saying, uh, Mark, you know, we need to... We need to get a shed, and we need to have something that we can, um, you know, store our lawnmower and our tools in. I have a bonfire pit at my house, and while she's telling me that, I'm just trying to think, well, how can I make my bonfire pit larger so I can fit an entire shed in it and burn it? Um, it's my favorite part of my house is, is my bonfire pit, and usually if we have people over, we're going to be around it at some point. Um, but I love fire. But having been fascinated by fire for most of my life, I also have learned how dangerous it can be. I have seen just a small ember start a flame that has spread and grown bigger and quicker than I had anticipated. Okay, my, my family in California even, they lost their home years ago to um, the devastating wild, wildfires that like, just run rampant in California pretty much every year, it seems like, for whatever reason. And when a fire is not controlled, it wreaks havoc on everything in its path, whether it was intentionally started or not. doesn't matter. And once a fire is started, it must be extinguished tactfully and with no small degree of caution. And I am always excited by fire, but I do understand how dangerous it can be. So don't get me wrong. 
But um, but I, I don't envy the danger that our firefighters, you know, have to have to go through every time they go out to battle one of these because they're so unpredictable and it's such a destructive force. Um, and I've not had to deal with really very many physical fires that have gotten out of hand, but we all possess a very dangerous fire starter within us that we use every day. And I think all of us have had to deal with the fires that it starts on a regular basis. All right, this little flamethrower has the destructive power to obliterate an entire relationship in just a matter of seconds, and it can alter the course of your entire life if not handled properly. You all know what it is? Whoops. It's your tongue. Those of you who said it right. That's not me. Just so you know. <laughs> You'll never know. But it's your tongue. All right, so turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to the book of James, chapter 3. This is just one of a, a few scriptures. We're going to look around at a couple today, so, um, so keep it open. But um, the book of James is mostly believed to have been written by Jesus' brother, and is written to the twelve scribes or the, the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. It says that in the, the very first verse of the first chapter. And this indicates that it's most likely focusing on the Jewish Christians who were scattered due to the persecution of the early church. Alright, so it, this letter kind of went out around a little bit. But this book is often summarized by its directions towards Christian living. And as Jeff had mentioned last week, living the Christian life is no easy calling. All right, but James is very black and white when writing about it. And James devotes nearly the entire third chapter on the importance of the words that you allow yourself to speak. So follow along with me as we read just a portion of this chapter, starting at verse 3. I'm just going to read 3 through 6. All right, it says, When we... When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So James starts this passage by highlighting the powerful influence that a small instrument can have over the entire body that it's a part of. Okay, he speaks of how a bit can direct an entire horse where to go and what to do, he then wants us to look at how a ship that is responsible for carrying and transporting a massive amount of people and cargo just has this tiny little rudder on it that can direct where this massive body goes. All right, and then he reveals what he really wants us to focus on in verse 5. It says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by just a small spark. Now the word translated for boast in this context is a word that implies malicious intent from the speaker. So you know it's not just like a boast like 
look how good I am. It's it's actually got a, a double <laughs> a double meaning here. It's supposed to build you up and tear the other down. And so it is speaking arrogantly with the purpose of causing harm to the recipient. And he immediately wants us to picture how a forest fire is started by just a small, seemingly insignificant thing like a spark. All right, a spark by itself can do no harm. If I was to pull out a lighter, probably standing over there, and just flick it, y'all probably want to go running for the exits because it's just a spark. It's not really, really going to do much. But in the right environment, with the proper surroundings and climate, a spark can destroy an entire forest and a forest that has taken decades and even centuries to grow can be undone by a single spark. And in the same way, relationships and reputations that have taken whole lifetimes to build up can be undone, undone with a single careless word when spoken at the right moment, in the right climate, and at the right time. So harmful words create fires every time they are spoken. And every time one of those fires is started, we have a few options to pick from when deciding how to react. And from my experience, many Christians have been choosing the wrong solution when extinguishing these fires. So say someone says a harmful word to you, all right? Say that they, they curse you in some way. Now, I did have a little prop that was supposed to resemble fire, and it didn't really work. So, so we'll just, here, we'll just use this. All right? They say something to you, you know, you insert random insult. And just like that, a flame is started, okay, a, a small fire. So let's look at the first solution we can turn to, all right? The first solution you can choose is to curse them back, all right? And you just say, yeah, well, you know, you're ugly and your dog has a dumb name, whatever. <laughs> I was, I know, I was never good at, I was never good at insults. I was terrible. I just received them. But, that's right. You can use that one. So you learn it from your pastor. But what that does, what you end up doing is you're insulting them back. It just adds fuel to the fire, okay? It's, it's taking it and it's hurling insults at the person who insulted you. Now, this plan of action in today's culture, it's most likely to be taken because it's initially satisfying, it's emotionally driven, and it's pretty easily justi justifiable. You know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you all ever heard that, right? But this culture glorifies your ability to hurl insults. We glorify it as a talent that someone possesses. What does everyone do when they hear a good comeback to an insult? I'll go, oh, burn, right? <laughs> and they say it in excitement. It's like, it's like, oh, look, you know, they say it in excitement as they watch the fire get bigger and bigger. And there's even a TV show that was on a few years ago. I even saw an episode of it a long time ago. It was called Yo Mama. <laughs> and its entire premise is on putting two people, having them go head-to-head, head-to-head, hurling insults at one another at one another, and there was a crowd of people, and they would just judge on how best the, you know, which person had the best insults. And whichever person had the best one, after judging, they would receive a cash prize. You know, I understand that that, is, that show was set to really, like, show off someone's improv talents and not really designed so that they would cause harm to the other person, but 
you know, I get it, but the point still stands that we defend and justify this eye for an eye way of reacting to being cursed or insulted because this culture views it as a kind of strength. But the book of Proverbs tells us that rash words are like sword thrusts, and a harsh word stirs up anger. It says elsewhere that he, it says elsewhere, I can't talk today, elsewhere that he who belittles his neighbor is foolish. So responding to those who curse you by cursing them back is really not the right way to go. Now, that probably didn't come as news to any of you, hopefully, but you, know, you hopefully understand that hurling insults back and forth is pretty immature and isn't the best way to extinguish the fire that has started. So that brings us to our second option. All right, now, unfortunately, I think that many of us have adopted this as the best or even most Christian way of reacting to this. And that is just to remove yourself from the situation. You just choose to ignore the person who is cursing you. You step away from the fire that has been lit, and you just let it die out naturally. You choose to just step away, and in doing so, you allow for the fire to burn out naturally. But, you know, no fuel is added, and no attention is given to the flame, and eventually the insults will stop, and the situation will just die out. You just take the heat, you take whatever burn comes, and you accept it as a form of persecution. And like I said, many you know, have adopted this as the best road to take. It's being the bigger man, it's taking the higher road. It's choosing to remain silent and denying the gratification of lashing back in retaliation. So what's wrong with that? You know, why is that a bad option? The fire doesn't spread. You resist the temptation of you know, cursing them back. And whatever damage is inflicted by the insults of the curses, whatever burns you get, they can probably be healed by God and or through the community that you have of people who care about you. So why would this route not be the best option? And my problem is that I don't think that, that as Christians that's what we were called to do when reacting to being verbally torn down. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he spends a little time telling his disciples how to treat your enemies. And in that passage, I think Jesus offers us a better and more effective solution to fighting these fires. All right, so if you want to flip back a little bit to Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 through 31, there's just a portion of it. Um, if you don't have it, you can just follow along. It says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, then turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So in Luke 6, verse 28, Jesus tells us to bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Now this is the third and the best option that we can take. Blessing those who curse you. All right, so blessing those who curse you puts out the fire immediately. All right? 
you take you, this method it doesn't wait for the fire to burn down it doesn't let it cause any harm but it it heaps water over the entire flame and puts it out then and there all right this is the opposite of the first option definitely and it's a much more effective solution than the second Instead of antagonizing the flames or just walking away from them, you instead, you step into the situation and you change it for the better for both parties involved. You see, the issue with walking away from the fire or just ignoring the flames or, or ignoring the cursing is that the best possible outcome will be for you to be able to forgive them privately. That's it. No relationships are stored restored you know if there was one to begin with it's it's not going to get restored just by walking away no glory to god is given no public demonstration of christ likeness no furthering of god's kingdom we privatize this whole conflict resolution to be just a matter of forgiveness so that we don't you know, harbor any ill will towards our fellow man. And in the best case scenario, we ask for God to forgive them and ask for help on our end to forgive them ourselves. But that's it. And that's the best case scenario outcome. In actuality, we are supposed to be bringing everyone closer to God in every situation that we encounter, including ones that we have with our enemies. We can publicly bless those who bless us. We can publicly bless those that we don't even really know. But when it comes to publicly blessing those who curse us, we opt to do nothing for them and instead we go pray for them privately. And forgiving them is important. You know, don't hear me say that it's not. But it's only part of the solution. In this scripture, Jesus pairs blessing those who curse you and praying for those who mistreat you in the same statement. And a mistake that we can make is just blending the two statements together and not differentiating between blessing those who curse us and praying for those who mistreat us. Now most of the time when we see Jesus praying or hear him teach about praying, it's in the context of doing it privately. Many times he will go off to be by himself in solitude, away from the crowds. When speaking about fasting and praying, he says to go into your room and shut the door to pray in private. And I think in this scripture, it isn't too far-fetched to assume that when he tells us to pray for those who mistreat us, he wants us to do it in the same way that he modeled and taught throughout the Gospels, in private. And that adds an important element to the scripture because it changes what happens when you bless someone. Praying for those who mistreat you is to be done in your private time, but blessing those who curse you is to be done publicly. Praying for those who mistreat you is for your benefit. It's part of your walking out the forgiveness part. But blessing those who curse you is for the benefit of everyone involved. It is meant to not only affect you, but affect the person who you are blessing as well. The blessing and praying are combined to show how you are to influence both yourself and the person who is doing the cursing. You can't read this passage of scripture and think that Jesus wants us to view blessing those who curse you as a defensive action, such as just walking away from the fire until it burns out. That action is all about damage control. But this is an offensive action that is meant to inflict damage against the enemy. All right, option one 
is an offensive action as well, but it's just attacking the wrong enemy. All right? Its focus is just on attacking the person who has cursed you. The problem is that we don't stop to identify who the real enemy is. The real enemy in this situation is not the person who insults you. Granted, it's difficult not to focus on the flesh and blood person who just blatantly insulted you to your face or in front of your friends, but our battle is not against flesh and blood, is it? Our fight as Christians is against Satan and the powers of darkness that are beyond what we see. He is the arsonist who is behind every curse that has ever been spoken against you. We can't take our anger out on our fellow man and curse them back, but we also can't be apathetic towards the damage that Satan is inflicting on their life through using them to curse you, to just walk away and be silent. Not if we're to fulfill the Great Commission, at least. We are to be drawing people towards Christ. And just walking away from the flame certainly doesn't do that. But how does blessing those who curse you do it? You know, I, I just said that blessing those who curse you is an offensive action. So how does this method of fighting fight against the real enemy? And there's a passage in Romans, now if you want to flip forward, there's a passage in Romans that speaks about what happens to the person when we bless them after they have cursed us. And it's Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Romans 12, 14 through 21. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with anyone. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, then give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This passage opens up with what we've been discussing this whole time. All right, it says it right there. It says, bless those who persecute you. And bless, do not curse, in case you missed it. Paul, the author of Romans, goes on to say that as much as it is in your power, be at peace with everybody. Okay, and don't repay evil for evil or take your vengeance on anyone because God is the ultimate judge of all mankind. And so, inflict, you know, using our wrath is not the right way to go because we'll probably misuse it. But he goes on to quote, Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 through 22, and that's what he's quoting right there in verse 20. It says, it says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, this proverb shows how blessing those who curse you brings someone closer to God. It shows the offensive action in this. 
All right, in simple terms, this scripture is just saying that when you do good to your enemies, when you treat well those who mistreat you, then you keep burning coals on their heads. All right, now this metaphor does not mean that you are going to burn them or inflict any kind of like physical pain on them. It's like as much as that's what you want to do. But it is a physical picture to show an emotional response. All right, it will not cause physical pain, but this metaphor does not allow you to think that it won't cause any discomfort at all. All right, it clearly shows that your actions will in some way create discomfort for this person. It doesn't say that you will gently hit them over the head with a pillow. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> a little wimpy, but no, it's, it's, this picture is meant to show that there's going to be discomfort with this tactic. But the discomfort the person will feel is that of his conscience being awakened to the Holy Spirit speaking to him. Okay? Your Christ-like response is probably not expected in today's culture if you are to bless somebody who curses you. And that sets something off. All right? You make room for God's conviction to work in that person when you bless those who curse you. So in one move, you are extinguishing the fire that Satan has started with that insult, and you're igniting the fire that God wants you to start. And all it takes is a coal to start a fire. You know, I had a friend who would always come over, and we would have these fires when I was in elementary school, and we'd, you know, we'd let them burn out overnight, and then we'd go out the next morning, and it's completely ash. It's, there's nothing there. But you take a shovel, and you dig a little bit deeper, and you'll find red-hot coals and without lighting a match, all you got to do is throw a few sticks or pine needles on it, and you have a brand new fire from the one that was put out. And the coals that you heap over your enemy's head are all that God needs to ignite the refiner's fire that could bring that person to repentance. All right, extinguish the fire that Satan has started and ignite the fire that God wants you to start. But please understand that this teaching is to be handled with caution. All right, dealing with someone who is abusive can be a very complicated situation. And blessing someone who is chronically abusive can, be very, can have a lot of very damaging outcomes. We are not simply to tolerate abuse of every kind. But the point is that Jesus is telling us that there is a way to fight back in a peaceful way in the right context. Now that being said, the main point I want you to take away from this is that blessing those who curse you is a weapon that the church needs to use more often. Many of us have just been walking away from the fires and letting them die out naturally, and that keeps our focus on us and our ability to forgive our persecutors. But in effect, our actions have no influence on this world. Yeah, you may be able to forgive them, and that's a great thing between you and God, but what does that have on the person who insulted you or the people who saw that, you know, the people who saw that, that insult happen? This idea of heaping coals on our enemies' heads is not even in your mind when you just walk away and, and you focus on yourself. Satan used scripture to try to get Jesus to respond in a certain way in the desert. I think that in situations like these, he uses the same technique. If we won't fight the fire with gasoline like he wants us to, well, then he wants us to just walk away and 
you know, we'll bring to our minds all the scriptures of, well, we're blessed because we're persecuted or, you know, counted as joy as whenever you have trials of many kinds. And so we try to conjure up that joy and, you know, everything's about me, me, me and I, I, I when, and yes, those are important to remember that. You know, I'm not saying that you aren't to remember that when you are persecuted for, for God, it is a blessing and you are to consider it as joy, but that shouldn't be what we mainly focus on when we are being cursed. We shouldn't be thinking about our joy and how blessed we are. This should be the first scripture that comes into our mind. The one that tells you that this situation is actually an opportunity to gain ground for the kingdom of God and possibly influence this person in a way that could lead them to their savior. And if Satan has to throw a couple other Bible verses in your head to get you out of that way of thinking, well, then he's probably okay with the outcome. He wants us to be thinking about ourselves and how we deal with this internally instead of thinking of how we can bless the person who is cursing us. He has conditioned this culture to retaliate with gasoline. And he has conditioned many Christians to just walk away in silence and neither action is helping anybody. And look, I know it's easy to get caught up in the anger that arises when you're mistreated. Believe me, I do. You know, I feel the rush of blood and the anger and the you know, fury that I want to release. I don't want to downplay how difficult it is to react appropriately when the opportunity arises. And I've probably only dealt with you know, two or three people who have just like blatantly cursed me at my work at Chick-fil-A for really not, not because of the service I'm providing them or whatever. It's just like a, they just want to insult someone. And so they do it, and I've, I doubt that I, I don't think I reacted in the proper way in any of those situations. You know, no, I hadn't done this sermon before then, but <laughs> it's, you know, it, it isn't, it isn't easy, easy. Gosh. but it is important, okay? Now let's look at this last proverb, and then we'll close here. It's Proverbs chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 16. It says, fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. It says that a fool will react instantly in some way to express their aggravation. All right, they, will they will satisfy the initial urge to do what feels right, which is probably gas can, right? We have that in our back pocket everywhere we go. It says, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Now, the word prudent means to act with care and thought for the future. How does overlooking an insult make a man prudent? Because the prudent man will look past the insult to see the opportunity that lays in wait to influence this situation for the glory of God. The prudent man will reject the easiness of walking away from the fire and engage further because he sees the potential for God to work through the situation that Satan has started and intended for evil. We have to have the foresight and the presence of mind to react as Christ would when we are mistreated. Otherwise, the best that we will ever be able to do is just walk away and be the bigger man. The 
The bigger man can walk away from the fire and let it burn out. But the Christ-like man can put it out then and there. Amen? Lainey, could you come back up? And could um, some of those who have been released to pray, could you all come back up as well? <clears throat> now, this whole idea of thinking about blessing those who curse you, um, I started thinking about it when I experienced uh, it's a situation that happened at Chick-fil-A, um, where I work, where it wasn't me who was being cursed, but this, uh, this young guy was blatantly just cursed, and he was on the headset, and he heard somebody um, call, him a, call him a name. You know, honestly, he, he said, he heard somebody say, well, that guy sounded like a faggot. And, and he heard that, and this guy, had, you know, he's been, he had been through a lot, and he heard that, and so he, he just, he got really upset. Now, these people had to come around to the window to pay and get their food. And so the opportunity was there. It was a blatant curse, not having to do with the service he provided or anything. It was just there. And he had the opportunity. And maybe, you know, well, what he did was he ended up just taking off the headset. He gave it to somebody else, and he, he just removed himself from the situation. He, he asked me, he said, he said, look, i got to get out of the drive through area. I just, I need to get out. And I, I said, fine. I mean, this was, this was a situation where I probably could have intervened right then and there, but I wanted to see what played out because I work with a lot of Christians, you know, and everyone involved was, was there and they were, they saw it happen and they heard it happen. And so I let them, let them go away. And, um, and maybe that was the best thing for this person to do. Okay. It's, I, I understand that we can't all just jump, if we've just been using gasoline, we can't all just jump to using water on everything. This is a progression that takes time. You know, it, it's not necessarily just, it, it's not easy to do. So he, for right then and there, whatever was going on, he, he walked out, and maybe that was the best thing to do. But it got me thinking about how we praise walking away as the best solution for this kind of situation. You know, we say it's taking the higher road when Jesus tells us that there's an even higher road to take. And this progression can take time, and I get that. So you know, maybe all you've ever done is reached for the gas can. You know, and, and that's, that's all you've ever done is when somebody insults you, it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I'm going to pour these, this gas on these flames, and we're just going to let it burn. But if you want to move from that to having the self-control to be able to stop and just walk away from the fire, you know, just move, just make that move, then come get prayer for that. Or maybe you've been walking away from the fire your whole life and you don't, you know, you, <laughs> you know the love that God has for you, but you don't, you're not necessarily expressing that love to the world in these situations. And all you've been doing is just stepping away, dealing with it privately, and, and then moving on with your life, getting healed and then going on. But you want, to, you want to move to being able to bless the person and put the fire out then and there instead. Well, then come get prayer for that. You know, and if you've never even just started the relationship with God that makes blessing those who curse you even possible... Well, then come and speak to any of these people, with me included, and we'd be happy to talk to you about that. So let's uh, close in prayer here.
Lord, we know that we are um, fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you, Lord, for just our ability to communicate and to, um, or to speak. And, and But none of us have to be convinced that our words can be used in, to hurt and to tear down. And they have such a powerful influence over our lives. Lord, especially um, in this culture, we, we live in a place where, you know, insults are just tolerated or even praised, and we, it's just, we use our words just flippantly without even thinking, Lord. You say that it's easy to fall when we just speak a lot and when we, uh, we just use a lot of words, and, and Lord, you constantly, in just so many ways, you talk to us about the dangers of what this of what our words, um, the damage that they can do. So, so Lord, first and foremost, help us to control what we say so that we aren't the ones who are insulting, that we aren't the ones who are cursing, Lord, and not even knowing it, and, and that we're communicating everything that is good and pure and, and right to this world who has um, just been conditioned to, to just hear things that tear us down. But Lord, don't let us just settle for being able to walk away and, and uh, Lord, even have that turn into pride when we're able to walk away and, and be silent in those situations. But show us the higher road of that than that, that we can step in and we can even bless the people who curse us. And that's a way of forgiving and it's also a way of just taking ground for your kingdom and for, um, for putting out the fire that you don't want to have started. And starting the ones that you do, Lord. The ones that refine us and, and bring people closer to you. Lord, I pray that we all know your love, but we, are, we have the courage to walk it out and express it. You hung on the cross and, and you were constantly being hit with every kind of insult. And you, and you said right there, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because those who insult us, they are, they're just pawns of Satan to, to curse us because he hates us. So help us to see who the real enemy is in this. And to do as you did. And that is bless those who curse you. Amen.